You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. Welcome to our third service here at Westside uh, for the weekend. First one is Thursday nights, and then we have two on Sunday morning. Um, it is good to be back. I was gone the last couple weeks. Uh, Terry's, most of you know, Terry's dad passed away last week, and uh, so it was a big deal in Phoenix, Arizona. And so um, we uh, interned him, I think that's the name for it, last Friday, and there's going to be a funeral this coming Friday. Uh, that the whole family, you know, that's when everybody uh, gets there. So please be praying for her. Terry would love to have been here this week. She had missed a couple weeks, and she was anxious to get back and see everybody. And then her mom went in the hospital uh, on Thursday. So now she's back there with her mom, and her mom's in the middle of grieving. Just her husband's been gone a week and a half, and now she's not... She wasn't doing good. She's doing a little better in the hospital, so Terry's there with her, and I think that's a good thing. So she sends her greetings, and uh, she wishes she was here, and she thanks everybody for their prayer, for their kind notes and texts and Facebooks and all that kind of stuff. So thank you very much. Uh, we appreciate that. Um, and then uh, we'll have a funeral later on this week. So anyway, uh, thank you uh, for understanding that. We've got a few people in the church that are going to be going up to Canada this week. If anybody, if anybody is in this service, would you guys stand up? We're going up to the Canada Equip. And so, all right. I think we've got about a dozen of our, our uh, folks going up. And so we just want to remember you guys in prayer. Uh, wait a minute. You stand up and receive prayer in the name of Jesus. All right, okay. So, Father, I pray that you would protect these. Uh, Westsiders and the rest of the group going to give them traveling mercies, we pray, God. Let, let this equip be enlarging uh, for them, enlarging, uh, strengthening, encouraging. I pray that they would be impacted greatly. I pray that you'd speak each, to each one a specific word that they need to hear from you this week. Uh, a key, uh, pivotal, life-changing word for each one of them, Lord. And uh, may we be better off as a whole, as a church, because of it. Amen. Amen. Say again. And equip is a leadership uh, training time that everybody is welcome to go to. Uh, Westside um, relates to a team uh, called New Covenant Ministries International. This team is uh, about 250 couples based in about 17 or 18 nations around the world, ministering into over 100 nations around the world. And so Terry and I happen to be on that team, so we get out once in a while and minister in other churches, help plant new churches and lay foundation and and help uh, existing churches. Uh, so we have, I think there's about 36 or 38 equips around the world this year. Uh, the one in Canada is coming up uh, this week, and then there's one for USA in Denver, actually at the end of June. And so we have a whole bunch of people from here going to that. You're, there's still time for you to register. I would encourage every single person who's part of Westside to at least go to one of those sometimes so they can see uh, what we're talking about and to hear uh, from people that are ministering in nations around the world. So uh, we are in a series. We started it last week. Logan kicked us off. I thought he did a great job. And um, we're talking about verses in the Bible that are misunderstood, uh, verses that are misquoted and misused. And so we want to be a people 
who are passionate about Jesus and, and about his word. And so his word is not just something that we go, oh, okay, here's something nice. I'll just take this little bit here. And, and I don't like that part, so I'm going to not listen, you know, read that part very often. And, and, uh, but we take the whole Bible. We believe that the Bible is true. The Bible is uh, relate, relatable to us. It's God's word to us. It's the final authority in all matters of faith and practice. And so the Bible is the owner's manual, so to speak, for human beings. You know, when you buy a lawnmower, you get an owner's manual. When you buy a microwave, you get an owner's manual. I mean, even when you buy an a tooth, electric toothbrush, you get an owner's manual. Why not have a human being owner's manual? This is God's owner's manual to you. If you want to know how to fix your marriage, you get in here. It's in here. If you want to know how to raise your kids, it's in here. If you want to know how to deal with your finances, it's all in here. And um, if you want to know how to have peace with God, it's in his word too. And so uh, that's something that's very dear to us. So as as a a community of people who love God, love his word, uh, we want to be people who... um, who study his word regularly. So I have a, a couple of show and tells. I would encourage you, if you're a believer and you're serious about growing in God, uh, pick up a, a Bible, um, a study Bible. And so this is the ESV study Bible. I highly recommend this. This is uh, pretty much in, in every evangelical pastor's uh, study in America and many around the world. Here's the Life Application Study Bible. This one happens to be New Living Translation. Life application comes in several translations. There's notes, there's uh, descriptions of words, like it, it, dis, uh, it defines a word. There's so many words in Greek or Hebrew that have different connotations in, in English. There's background information, there's maps, there's things. Here's uh, two brand new ones, the New Living Translation Study Bible. This is a great uh, a Bible that uh, uses the New Living Translation. When you go through a study Bible, it's just the Bible, but it has all these extra notes in it here. So here's my instruction. Read the Bible first. Yeah. <laughs> read the Bible part first. Don't just read the notes, all right? And, so, and then you get the background. And then this one is brand, brand new. This is NIV uh, Zondervan Study Bible. This is edited by Carson, D.A. Carson. He's like one of the preeminent theologians in, in America today. This one is like 2,880 pages. And you go, oh, that would take me like a million years to go through that. That would take me five years to go through that. Well, in five years, you're going to be five years older anyway. So why not have read this, you know, and work through, <laughs> through this <laughs> and, and have this under your belt. So here's my encouragement to you. If, if you really want to know his word more, pick one of these. They're going to be up on the front row up here afterwards and, and get one. Um, three of these, three out of the four are on my um, computer uh, study stuff that I um, access all the time. So when I get background stuff up here, it's because I'm doing research. And so I'm just glad on my, on my computer program, I have about 2,500 books. So that's, that's uh, I don't have to have a library. I just carry it around in my computer. And it's backed up on the cloud. So anyway, uh, but I do enjoy reading uh, books and working through them. So just, that's just a little piece. So we're going through scriptures that are misused. Today we're going to talk about one. It is probably, one, if, if it's not in the top three, it could possibly even be the top one misquoted verse uh, in the Bible. But before I say that, you know what the most quoted verse 
in America is. The most quoted Bible verse is not even a Bible verse. It's God helps those who help themselves. It's not even in the Bible. And so that is, we can't say it's misquoted because it's not even in the Bible. Maybe it's misused or misattributed or something. But probably the most misquoted verse in the Bible is judge not. Uh, Here it is in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. And if you're reading King James, it's judge not lest ye be judged. Right? Okay? Are we here? All right. Okay. All right. Did I do too much like study stuff and show you those Bibles? And I lost you. All right. Margo, come on. Help me out here. You're a Bible studier. I want you to lift your hand and say hi. Get a study Bible. Okay. All right. Okay. Four, you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you'll be judged. So a a real common complaint against the church uh, oftentimes is uh, you Christians are too judgmental and you're hypocrites. And by and large, there's a lot of truth to that. And uh, hopefully... We're a community of believers here that don't want that to be true about us, and we're going to do something about it. We want to uh, live uh, what we say we believe in and not just say it. We want to actually do it. Um, But when you're out there, maybe you're sharing your faith or talking about Jesus, or the, the second you mention the Bible, people go, don't judge me. Judge not, lest you be judged. It's like they're get out of jail card free. You know, it's like, don't talk to me about anything that I'm going to have to deal with in my life. And it's, that's just a misuse of that. That's not what that uh, verse is about. And sometimes it even happens in us, in the church. It's, oh, we as Christians, we're not supposed to judge. And so we can't ever call anything wrong, you know, that's wrong. And so that's not what it's, uh, what's being said here either. either. So during this course of a sermon series. Probably we're going to go through maybe July or something. We're not quite sure when we're going to end. Uh, but there's five things that I want, I want you guys to get a handle on and learn. When we read Scripture, there are things that help us understand Scripture better. Instead of just pulling something out of the air, maybe something out of context, maybe something here or there that just fits us. Uh, but how do we really... Uh, look at the Bible and look at it accurately. So these principles apply to you personally and they apply to your small group or Bible study. They apply to us as a church when we look at Scripture. Number one, we approach God's Word in humility. You see, until the day of Jesus, we're going to be conformed to the image of Christ and we want to uh, grow in Him. We want to conform to what the Word of God says. But we don't think we know it all. We don't think we have it all. I want you to turn to your friend right now and I want you to say this. I'm not always right. (laughs) I'm not always right. I'm not always perfect. I'm not always sinless. The Bible says... That God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, of anybody in the entire universe that I don't want to oppose me, it's God. And and the Bible says he opposes the proud. Wow. But gives grace to the humble. 
man, I want to walk humbly. I want to, I want to take the, the, the low road, so to speak, the, the humble road. Um, and so somebody once said that the de- definition of humility is just being willing to be known for who you really are. Just be willing to be known for who you really are. If you're good at sports, say, yeah, I'm good at sports. If somebody compliments you, say thank you. Don't say, oh, duh, I'm not good at sports. Well, what's that gold medal on your shelf over there? Just be willing to be known for who you really are. And, you know, I'm really good at sports, but I'm terrible at vocabulary, you know, or something, or diagramming sentences. All right, how many, how many are terrible at diagramming sentences? All right, so, all right, everybody knew that already. Because you were just kind of blind to it. Uh, anyway, we want to walk in humility. Second thing, all right, I'm getting off track here. Second thing is we read from the text and not into the text. We read from the text and not into the text. So there's two fancy words here, eisegesis and exegesis. Eisegesis means we read into the text. Exegesis means we read from the text. Exegesis is the good word. Eisegesis is the bad word. We, we can have an idea up here. Oh, let's see. I think, I think what I'll do uh, is uh, we'll oppress uh, millions and millions of people and we'll make our country take over the entire world. This is what Hitler did. And he used, he read into, found some scriptures that he could use where during his speeches... You know, you've all seen those speeches where he's doing this. He's quoting scripture, but it's not as God did. He's reading into the text, or we might uh, read into uh, the text um, like this. Judge not, lest you be judged. Don't you judge me, you know. You stop right now. You, and, and, then, and then I would say to them, I would say, you just said you're judging me. Well, that was judgmental. You're judging me, all right? So anyway... That's how I think. But uh, exegesis is reading from the text. And so here is simply Jesus is saying, pay more attention to your own sin than you do to other people's sin. That's, that's the point that he's getting across. So see, we need to uh, work. It takes work sometimes to understand the context. We want to know what's... What are the verses around that verse? Because this wasn't written, the Bible wasn't written with chapters and verses. Those were added hundreds of years later. Those were added by people just so we could find our place. You know, so we could find John 3.16 when we needed it in there. Or to turn to something where we could all do. Because they would have 66 scrolls before. We couldn't all carry around 66 scrolls. And so Bibles got compact and we put verses in there so we could find them. But read the thought. At least read the verses around it, the paragraph. Remember? Diagramming sentences. Remember, a paragraph is a complete thought. You have your topic sentence and then a couple of supporting sentences, and you have a thought. So at least read the verse in the context of the thought. Read it in context of the chapter, maybe, maybe the book, and also the whole Bible. What's, what's the culture? Who, who was doing the talking? Who were they talking to? And all these kind of things. So in context... These verses that we just read are part of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And if you have a red letter edition in your Bible, Matthew 5, 6, 7, you, that's a big old chunk of red. Yeah. Red is what Jesus said. So Jesus is preaching what is called the Sermon on the Mount. He starts with the Beatitudes. He, he, he talks about how to uh, pray, 
how to be his disciple, what the cost of discipleship is, the kingdom of God. And then there's a whole huge crowd around him and there was always Pharisees, scribes and Pharisees standing by. It was like, you know, a little section roped off, reserved for scribes and Pharisees. And Jesus is talking and he's talking to the people and blessed are the poor in heart, uh, blessed are the merciful you know, all, all these things and talking to people. And then I think that he went like this and spoke to the guys in the roped off section. Judge not, lest ye be judged. For the same way you judge, it'll be judged unto you. And so a little bit more context starting in verse 3. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? So Jesus might be pulling from some of his uh, carpenter background here. I don't know. But I just, I just love the picture. Uh, Patrick McNamara used to be one of our pastors here. He planted a church in San Jose. He, he talked on this once. and he, he had this like birch log. Not quite enough to be big enough to be a log on your fire. But, you know, with the white bark, you know. And he had this big log. And he tied it to his head like right here. Bonk, like this. And he's walking around. And he's saying, hey, well, you got a speck on your shirt there. You know, like this. And, and this is called humor, all right? And the Bible has humor. Jesus is telling a joke here. The crowd was probably chuckling. Why? You got this big old log hanging out of your eye, and you go around and look for the speck in somebody else's eye. All right? That's funny. All right, so. So the con- their context was, he was trying to Ill- illustrate this. And Jesus was simply saying, deal with your own sin first, humbly. So was he saying that all forms of judgment are wrong? No, he was not saying that. But this kind was. And he was saying, don't be the condemning, harsh kind of judging that the Pharisees were famous uh, for doing. More context later down and just a few verses later. Beware of false prophets. (laughs) No, he's looking right over at them. I wasn't looking at Logan and Amanda. I was looking just (laughs) above them over here. So in the distance roped off section, all right? They, they're disguised har- as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. That is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces bad fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does, does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Well, if we cannot judge, how on earth then are we going to identify false prophets? There has to be some valuation somewhere on people's actions or their, what they say. And Jesus gives it to us here. You can identify people by their fruit. Young people, probably one of the best things that you can do to determine who you're going to hang out with is what kind of fruit is coming out of your life. Like I was just like normal. I loved my parents. I was doing fine. And then all of a sudden, I started hanging out with this crowd. And now my parents are the enemy. (laughs) Like this. You know, just what kind of fruit is coming out of your life? Are you using the same language you used to? Uh, and it, that applies to adults as well. It, 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 you know, just what kind of fruit is coming out of your life? That's how Jesus said we can identify that. So we have to make value judgments and, and, and do these things. We have to, our, 
uh, ascertain intents. It's kind of difficult to do that. Sometimes you don't know what a person is intending, but you can see uh, the outworking of their life, the fruit that's coming out of their life. And so Paul says in Philippians 1, verse 9 and 10, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. So his, his uh, exhortation for us here is to grow. I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. Number four here, D. We let Scripture interpret Scripture. The best commentary on Scripture is Scripture itself. All right? There's a lot of great commentaries out there, but the best commentary is what does the whole Bible say about this? Because you can pull something and, and, uh, out, out of the Bible. You can pretty much prove anything you want in the Bible. And so what does the Bible, what does the whole Bible say about this? That's why sometimes you'll hear from time to time we have a whole Bible theology. Not just one verse on grace, but what does the whole Bible say about grace? Not just one little verse on judging here. What does the whole Bible say about this? All right? So um, there's another section in here where Jesus said, uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We call that the golden rule. All right? So do to others as you would have them do unto you. That's a positive. You do to them like you want them to do to you. That's two positives, all right? Now, this judge not lest ye be not judged, all right, is two negatives. Now, remember way back to sixth grade algebra, what do two negatives make? A positive, all right? So Jesus is saying the same thing here. Treat others as you want to be treated. Only he's inserting two negatives in. He says... Um, we should not judge others as we do not want to be judged. So there's two negatives there. Does that make sense? So that's agreeing with this other big old thing of do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. That's like getting a bigger picture of this. Yes, it is uh, throughout Scripture. Let Scripture commentate on itself. And the last one is we want to apply Scripture to our lives. There needs to be application. When we come to God's Word, we know that it's alive and it's active and it's the living, breathing Word of God. It's amazing. It's so, so many layers upon layers here, just like ogres and onions, right? <laughs> layers, layers, layers. So you might read a verse one time, you might read it ten times, you read it the fiftieth time, and something jumps out at you, all right? You go, I've never read this before. No, you have. Just the light switch hadn't clicked on before. That's because it's the eternal word of God. And it's really good for us in every situation. Two people might read the same thing. And although we don't change the meaning, but the application changes for each one of us. The way it's applied to me or to you is different. Two of us read the exact same thing and we both get hit, boom, like this. But you, for, it's for one thing. For me, it's for another thing. That's the great thing about applying God's word when he speaks to us. So I didn't tweet this this week, but maybe I should have. And here's what, here's what I didn't tweet. I want God's word made clear by the Holy Spirit to change me. I want God's word made clear by the Holy Spirit to change me. That's the reason we get into his word, not just for knowledge, 
but for change, for growth, for maturity, for becoming more like Jesus. All right? So those five things we're going to just touch on each week as we go through this series. Uh, Last week, Logan did, and I did this week, just kind of as we're kicking this off. We'll mention them in in other weeks, or we might key in on one point uh, at some time. So, um, number two, how not to judge. All right? Number one, how not to judge in a harsh, condemning way. All right? So that, that uh, word in Greek, to judge, the connotation for that kind of judging, because you could have many translations into English, and sometimes it gets confusing, like the word love. It's translated. It could be eros, which is erotic love. It could be uh, uh, phileo which is brotherly love, like city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. Or it could be agape love, God's unconditional, eternal love. And so like, I love ice cream and I love Jesus. Well, those don't seem to really compare there. Um, What are you actually talking about? So in Greek, they have a whole bunch of words to identify those. You know, but in in English, it gets mixed up. Well, this word judge can actually be uh, identified in, in eight separate words in English. You know, and so this word for judge, Jesus is saying the harsh, condemning kind of judging. I condemn you. You know, you cut me off in the grocery store. Have you ever done that? You come around the end of the aisle, you see one check stand is open, and you start to come over and you see this person all the way across, and they start to speed up a little bit, and then you start to speed up a little, and they get in before you, and then you're just standing behind them in line. <laughs> Can you picture that? All right. If somebody cuts you off, I don't know. People do, they, just people do things that irritate you. We all have these th- triggers or whatever. Maybe I'm the only one, all right? Maybe I'm the only one in the whole world who has ever saw somebody get, slip in there before they did. Um, <laughs> anyway, I'm just sharing mine. <laughs> don't cut you off. This kind of word here is where you're the, the, the judge, the jury, and the executioner. It's very harsh and very condemning. And Jesus is saying, uh, don't do that. So we don't judge in a harsh, condemning way. We don't judge in a hypocritical way. Where we're falsely claiming the, the high road here. And, uh, wow. In your notes... Which is the blank word there? Not in a hypocritical way? Oh, how not to judge. What is number two? Is it right in there? In a hypocritical way? Oh. All right, there's a hypercritical and a hypocritical. So either one, or neither one of them are good. One is, is being overly critical, and the other one is being like close looking in critically. Um, and there's different reasons why people criticize. Another way not to judge is in a prideful way where we are morally superior to them. Like, the way I am is better than the way you are. So I judge thee. All right? So this is what the Pharisees were doing. And sadly, it happens too often in the church. And so it's like um, a father who tells his teenage daughter, I want you to dress modestly. And he has every right to do that. And he should do that and teach his daughter. And then he goes and looks at porn. 
Or a guy at work that says, uh, you shouldn't be pilfering pens and pencils and notepads. And yet he's on Facebook during the day. He's stealing time from his employer. In other words, that's hypocritical. And we all you know, tend to see things in others and we don't look at ourselves. And Jesus is really encouraging us to take a look at ourselves here. Is there, number three, a right way to judge? Is there a right way to judge? You better believe there is. The Bible, collectively, uh, all through it, a whole Bible theology, shows many times when we have to judge, we may have to make evaluations. Oftentimes we have to depend upon the uh, discernment of the Holy Spirit, uh, but we do need to make those uh, judgments. So how do we do that? How do we judge in the right way? Because as followers of Jesus, we want to be responsible to God and, and responsible to each other. So A, we judge each other in humility and gentleness. Humility and gentleness. Knowing that there but for the grace of God go I. And, and we could all be doing the same thing, really. So I have a friend, uh, more of an acquaintance, um, John Dawson. He's an author. He wrote a book, Taking Our Cities for God, a few years ago. His mom, Joy Dawson, is an international speaker and author herself. And so he was working with a group that they were witnessing in uh, New Orleans during Mardi Gras. And um, that would be a tough place to witness. And so they had spent the whole night. And so he was walking back to his hotel at 4 or 4.30 in the morning. And uh, he came across a guy that was lying in the gutter, literally. He was half on the curb and half in the street in his own vomit. After a night of revelry. And John said, just for the briefest moment. And I remember when he said this. He said it with tears in his eyes. Just for the briefest moment, I looked at the guy and I thought, what a loser. You know, after he'd been out witnessing all night. And then he looked at this guy. And he said, right then, the Lord just hit him. And he had this, as clear as he had ever heard anything from the Lord before. He just felt the Lord say, if that guy had your parents, and if that guy had your upbringing, and if he had your opportunities in life, he would be further along than you are. Could you imagine? We really want to be a people of humility and gentleness. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Wow. We also judge in love. James, the brother of Jesus, in chapter 5 says, My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. So you can... Looking at this, what Paul and James are saying, you can assume a couple things. People are going to sin. People are going to mess up. Now, personally, as a, as a Christian, I believe that once we say yes to Jesus, we don't ever have to sin again. We don't ever have to sin again. I think the Bible is clear on that, that we don't ever have to. It's possible. But I'll tell you what, the truth, I've never seen it. I've never seen anybody go from the point they got saved and never sin again. Terry's grandpa 
Arthur Hawkinson, passed away in 1992, born in 1896. He was the most godly man that I ever knew. And I never, ever once saw him sin. But he wouldn't say that. And I heard him say that. And I heard him cry tears of, thank you, God, for saving my sin. I go, what sin are you talking about? (laughs) You are like this godly, righteous man, you know? And so, but we don't have to. So first of all, Paul and James are assuming that people are going to mess up. And next of all, they're assuming this, that fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord will come alongside them gently and in love and help restore them and not condemn them. That's what they're assuming. So three, we, we can judge in a spirit of restoration. Matthew chapter 18. This is called the Matthew 18 principle. Because it's found in Matthew 18. All right, so don't forget it. Jesus says, If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. Jesus says, go privately. Keep the circle small. Don't share it with your Bible study group or your prayer partners. Keep the circle small. When you've won them back as a brother or sister in the Lord, it's dealt with and it's over. Nobody else has to deal with it. They didn't have to go through that. Oftentimes what happens is people will go tell a few people just for prayer and just for support. And then this, the first two parties, they make it right. They're all clear. But everybody else still thinks of that person as, oh, they did this to my friend, you know, or something like that. So keep the circle small. There's no reason for anybody else uh, to know it. So we can't do that without the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And, and fourth here, how do we judge? Uh, we keep judgment within the church. Jesus was pretty clear that you can make valuations of people and speak truth to them. Now, Jesus, was, uh, it was described of him that he was full of grace and truth. Most of Jesus' ministry was grace and mercy and gentleness and forgiveness. But when it came to unrepentant sin, Jesus didn't have a problem with sinners. He hung around sinners all the time. He loved it. He was accused of being a friend of sinners. Tax gatherers and notorious sinners Tax gatherers, they would uh, take money, extort money from you. If you didn't pay up, they'd have guys beat you up or cut your finger off or something like that. That's pretty close to the mafia nowadays. And then notorious sinners, that's like hell's angels. So Jesus hung around mafia and hell's angels, and he ate with them. And he was accused of being a friend of sinners. That's why. It wasn't like us he hung around with. It was notorious, really bad sinners. Jesus didn't have a problem. He never condemned them. He told the woman caught in adultery, go your way and sin no more. Told her, stop it. But he didn't condemn her. But the people who were claiming to be righteous and weren't, he had a very low tolerance for them. He said this, you brood of vipers. He did. He said, you hypocrites. What if I got up here and said that? Like, that's how I started my sermon. (laughs) I can't even do it. I can't even do it. Half of you get out and walk, walk out, and the other half would just bust out laughing because you know I wouldn't be serious. 
We're all sinners, okay? We already discussed that. We all said we're not perfect, all right? I'm not always right. How about this one? What if he said, what if, maybe he said it really nice. Oh, you foolish ones. Or what if he said this really nice? Oh, you are of your father, the devil. <laughs> Could you imagine that? Okay, I have to point. You are of your father, the devil. You know, pointing to them, looking at them. There's judgment there. Sometimes it's necessary to judge within the church. Paul puts it really well here in 1 Corinthians. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You'd have to leave this world to avoid people like that. Pretty clear, right? I meant that you're not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer, yet indulges, I'll talk about indulge in a second, in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols. Don't even eat with such people. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it is certainly your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside, as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. So, as a pastor, I'm not near as concerned about weak people as I am about rebellious people. We're all weak. We all slip up and fall. The Bible calls that sin. We all are perfectly well aware of our own sin. But we don't advocate it, and we don't promote it, and we confess it when we realize it, and it frustrates us, just like it did Paul, the apostle, when he said, the very thing I want to do, I don't do. And the very thing I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Ah, He just throws his hands up. What am I going to do? Who's going to free me from this? And then he said, thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift, Jesus Christ. And so, if somebody is purposefully sinning, living in sexual sin, and... This is what I'm doing. In fact, I think you should do it too. I think you should too. And it starts spreading. All of a sudden, their whole home group is all indulging in sexual sin because it's spreading like that. You deal with that. This is what Paul is saying. So there's a difference between out-and-out arrogance and rebellion, promoting sin, and people who are weak and fall into sin. They didn't want to. They didn't mean to. They didn't plan to. They confessed it, and now it's over. We, we walk people through those things. Most people are either this one and not this one. There's very, I mean, how many people do you know promoting sexual sin? That's not very common. There's a, there's a center one here where people quietly are refusing to deal with their sin right in here. It's, nobody really knows about it. That's a little more, that's not as easy to deal with. Out here, that would be easy for me. I'd just say, you know, the three biggest elders, Paul, you guys, take them out and get rid of them, all right? Just take them out. But this section in here where people, they, they know they're in sin and they refuse to deal with it, that's, that's where you might need to come alongside gently, in humility, in love, gently share with them and say, listen, this is what the Bible says about this. You need to deal with this. Have you ever had somebody tell you truth and you were so ticked at them? because they were right? 
and you maybe didn't even want to talk to them. And then later, you go up to them and you say, um, thank you. I, I re- actually needed that. I didn't like it, but I needed that. Proverbs says this, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Oh, thank you. I have friends. There's friends in this church who love you enough to tell you the truth. We won't beat you over the head with it, but we'll be try to be like Jesus who is full of grace and truth. And he spoke the truth. All right? So, and the truth sets free. If you want to be free, the truth will set you free. So how do we apply this? What do we go with today, away with? Number one, let's address the sin in our own lives first. John says, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. So, oh man, why do we flirt with sin? Why do, we, why do we try to see how close we can get before falling into the abyss? My dad used to tell this story. I've probably heard this like a thousand times. Um, just like some of you have heard some of the things I've said a thousand times. You go, oh, don't say it, just like 43X. You know, that's the one, that's one. Just, ha, 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 ha. Yeah, it's funny. So... Um, this wealthy lady was hiring a new chauffeur. And three guys applied, so she interviewed them. And she said, you know that corner up on, you know, that mountain road and, you know, that dirt road? And there's a, there's a big cliff right there. And they go, oh, yeah, yeah, we know that. And she says to the first guy, uh, how, how fast could you drive around that corner? And he goes, well, ma'am, I could go around that corner at 40 miles an hour and be only three feet from the edge. And the second guy goes, well, I could go around 50 miles an hour and only be one foot from the edge. And the third guy says, well, ma'am, I'd just go as slow as I could and just go on the inside. Who do you think she hired? The guy who stayed away from the edge. Why do we insist on going right up to the edge of sin? We've got to deal with that in our own lives. Sometimes we think we, our sins are respectable. There's actually a book called Respectable Sins. Like, you know, first there's smoking and spitting and chewing and going with girls who do. Those are the kind of outward signs of sin over here. And then over here, there's respectable sins like pride, you know, and selfishness or, you know, whatever. Like, oh, they're so spiritual. They're working on humility, you know, and pride. No, people who actually live there and know that, they know that that is actually way worse than these because this has to do with the heart And let's deal with these things. The issues of our heart, the outward and the inward ones, wherever we are in our walk with Jesus, let's deal with those. Whenever he exposes something to you, and he's such a gentleman, because he only gives you two or three at a time. Really, he does. They're ones that really bother you. That's the ones he has his thumb on. My old pastor used to say we, a lot of us had the green grape syndrome where God puts his thumb on something. We go bloop like this. I'm out of this church. They've identified this. I'm going to go over here. You're just, God's going to keep his thumb on that thing until you deal with it. All right? 
So as we deal with these two or three things, you ever get victory in an area and you go, oh, thank you, Jesus. Then like two days later, he shows you the next thing that you're supposed to work on. How long is this going to continue? Until you're like me, until the day of Jesus Christ, till the day I call you home. And uh, this is, that's the life of being saved. Yes, we are saved. We're going to heaven. Jesus paid the way, but we are being saved. We are being conformed to the image of Christ. This doesn't earn us our salvation. This is just something we do because we're saved and because we love him, because we want to honor him. And number two, when we do sin, let's, uh, when we do um, deal with sin in our life, let's address sin in others gently and with compassion. So when a person messes up, they know it, we know it. Oftentimes they're condemned, they're cut off, they're unjustly uh, judged. There's, there's two words, one is censoring and one is censuring. And I put in my notes, censoring, that means like when a censor cuts a script in Hollywood, they censor that out, you know, they cut it off. But that's the part I don't like. I don't want that there. Sometimes when somebody messes up in our body, we just cut them off. We don't like them. We don't want them around. And they know it, so they leave. But when somebody sins, it's time for compassion. Not judging them, not censoring them, or censuring them. Like in the Senate, when you censure a senator, that means he's formally disapproved of. All right. Maybe we don't cut them off and say, don't come here, but we formally disapprove of your sin, and we will let you know that, like this. And so whether it's censoring and censoring, we don't do that. We take their hand, and we walk them back into a whole and right relationship with Jesus. All right? Um, Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to each other, tender-hearted forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. We can never, ever, ever forget. He forgave me. Wow. Of my whole lifetime of sin, I can forgive an offense on somebody else. And the other thing here is there's never a spirit of criticism in the humble and loving believer. We just don't want to have a spirit of criticism, being critical on everything that people say, everything they do, everything, watching for every tiny thing that they mess up on. That's a spirit of uh, criticism. But a spirit of compassion is what we're looking for. Galatians 6, 2 and 3. Share each other's burdens in this way. Obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. I love how the Bible speaks truth. You're not that important. And so, what kind of person are you sitting here today? Maybe you have come under harsh condemnation and judgment from the church. Maybe from this church. Maybe from another church. There's a lot of believers out there that have been hurt really bad from churches. I pray that God will heal you of that and you can move on and get in a loving, healthy atmosphere here and grow in Him. Some of you have been on the critical end and you, you've seen yourself today and you say, God, help me. I don't want to live in that. I repent of that and, and lead me. I want to walk in compassion. And I don't want to be judgmental, but I do want to be able to judge in a godly way when, when the time arises. And So maybe you're the person I just mentioned a few minutes ago that's in the middle. And actually you are 
not listening. You've got plugs in your ears and the Holy Spirit's trying to talk to you. I pray that today you'll release that, ask God to forgive you, and walk in freedom. It was for freedom that he set you free. Stay free. Don't go back into a yoke of bondage of being hypercritical and, and, and becoming legalistic like the Pharisees. We don't want to be that. So we can only do this through the grace that God supplies. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for this word today. Wow, there's a lot to process. I pray that you'd help each one of us apply this to our lives where we are at in our walk with you. Father, I pray that we won't be harshly condemning or critical of people, but when we see something, we check our own spirit first, check our own sin in our own life, and in humility and and, uh, in love, we approach people and offer to walk them back to wholeness and freedom. Father, I pray that you give us revelation on this. And if anybody is here this morning and say, look, I don't even have a relationship with Jesus. He hasn't even forgiven my sin yet. I pray that you would say this right now. Dear Jesus, please forgive my sin. Say that in your heart. I believe you are who you said you are and that you did what you came to do. That's to die for my sin. I believe all that. I believe you rose again on the third day and I ask you to be Lord of my life right now. Help me to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you said that in your heart right now for the very first time and you meant it and you never said that before in your life, the Bible says that you're a Christian. I'm not, I can't say you're a Christian. Only between you and God, no, if you meant that before him. But if you did, you said it and you meant it, the Bible is very clear. If you confess your sins and declare in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you'll be saved. And you'll have a relationship with him. It's like a brand new baby starting your walk today. I want to encourage you. And if you said yes to Jesus this morning for the very first time, I want you to tell me at the back door because I'd love to know. I'd love to know if you became a Christ follower this morning. That'd be awesome. God bless you.